Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 204 of Yogaland. Jason is here with me today. Hi, Jason. I'm back. He's back. I'm back again. Back again. Can you believe there are 204 episodes? That's what I was thinking. I was going to say 204 episodes. It's a lot. It's a lot of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the most uh, steady personal project I've ever done in my life of any kind. What would you say about but what Except about for my, you. my development as a person? Well, I wasn't calling you a personal project. So, Fair enough. you know, yeah, yeah. So what are we going to talk about today, Jason? You and I did that 10-part series on yoga and and COVID. That we and did we did 10 episodes. I We did 10 never episodes. Went back and yeah. yeah. I think we did 10 Good episodes. For us. Um and that was a while ago now. I know. God. And I was kind of thinking about this because I just graduated another group of 500-hour teacher trainees. Mm-hmm. They're, it's a really, really super awesome group. And that means that I have now, since the onset of COVID, taught 300 hours online. And so three 100-hour modules right. plus like a 25-hour supplemental training. Mm-hmm. I've taught a ton of Zoom classes And I've also, as I've been teaching these trainings, I've been working with really great experienced teachers in their own right to see what's happening, what's working, and what isn't working in terms of teaching during COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Now we have some, we have some data, we have a track record. Unfortunately, we have, we're getting, yeah, we're getting into like more than three months of data. Yeah. I brought this up at a, in a conversation we had a while ago, and it's something I've been thinking a lot, which is. I think that so many people, including myself, thought, okay, we're shutting down the studios, we're going to teach for a while on Zoom, and then we're going to restart and reopen the studios and things will be back to the way they were. And what we now know is that is not the case. Yeah. And that isn't happening that way. And so that isn't to say that studios won't reopen. Many of them are suffering, but many of them will prevail. But as things are reopening, they're opening with social distance. And what that's going to mean for the majority of yoga studios and yoga teachers is there's going to be now three options. There's going to be the teaching in the studio option. There's going to be the live stream only option. And much more commonly, there's going to be a hybrid option where students can take your class if the studio has reopened in a socially distanced manner. They can take it in the room or they can stream it live. But what I really want to talk about is just my experience now over the last five months, and not just my personal experience, but my experience compounded by many other really great teachers that I'm working with and sorting through everyone and sorting out what are the things that are really working and what are the things that are really not working with regards to teaching regular on the schedule drop-in yoga classes. And then also, what are some things that I think students need to consider? So both, what can we reflect on with regards to what's working and not working for teachers, but also some of the qualities or some of the attributes or some of the things that students during this period of time, I I think would really be advised to keep in mind. Okay, so should we start with the good news or the bad news? Should we start with what you let's start with what you feel? Let, let's start with the challenges. Okay. No, no, no. I think it's a always a more sensible plan to start with what is not working because then we can identify the obstacles. I mean, this is not Patanjali represents a small component of the yoga tradition, but Patanjali did start with the obstacles. We can kind of lay out what are the obstacles. And I think that one of the big challenges, one of the big obstacles as a teacher that we're facing is Zoom fatigue, Mm -hmm. Zoom attrition. And this was from the very beginning, my biggest concern from the business side, both for the independent studios that I work with, but also for the yoga teachers teaching Zoom-based classes, right? And the, the biggest challenge that I see it is There's only so long that people want to experience super low levels of production. 
Like we have just normalized when we're doing something online or with TVs, like that it can be pretty, that it can look good, right? That there's some nice aesthetic environment that you're in or that you're experiencing. And I just think that the experience of taking class via Zoom because the aesthetic as the student, the aesthetic, it can be really hard to see the teacher. It can be hard to hear the teacher. It can be difficult to kind of see other students. So I think that there's the natural fatigue that comes from interacting with a technology that is not made for this. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? It's, it's a good just, technology. It's, it's a great not, tech. I mean, my yeah. God, we, we, you know what I mean? So we just, I'm not bagging on Zoom at all. Like, thank God we have it, you know? But it just wasn't built as like a movement instructional environment, mm-hmm. right? I think the other thing that's, that is contributing to a certain amount of fatigue and attrition, I've thought about this for a long time, right? Which is, I remember... I don't know how long it was, maybe 15 years ago, maybe not quite as many. I was running the mind-body center at a very big fitness facility in San Francisco called the San Francisco Bay Club. Our mind-body center was 10,000 square feet. We had 7,000 members. Like It was a really big institution, right? And what that institution, because they were in the membership business, that institution, they thought of sales strategies and retention strategies equally, right? Because the way that they made their business was there was inevitably going to be a certain amount of attrition. Mm -hmm. There's going to be people that just naturally churn out of the process. People move away, people, their job changes and they're not close to that gym anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they knew, look, you have to factor in attrition, which means, number one, you have to continue to sell and introduce your services to people that don't already know about you. And then also you have to help incentivize people to stay. And so my immediate concern wasn't so much incentivizing people to stay. It was more, okay, what's naturally going to happen online, just like in all environments, is you're going to start with X number of people And a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, you're going to have fewer than X number of people. They're going to be people that are going to churn out. Mm -hmm. They're just going to, that's just how life works. Yeah. When you're in a studio environment, there's this kind of natural rhythm where the studio is bringing in new people. Mm -hmm. And the studio is bringing in new people in part because they're advertising, they're marketing, there's word of mouth. There's foot traffic. There's foot traffic. (laughs) That was the next thing I was going to say, you know? You look at Love Story in San Francisco, where it is, right? It's in a it's a nuanced neighborhood. It's kind of a complicated neighborhood, but there's a ton of foot traffic, yeah, right? Yeah. There's just a lot of people that by virtue of physically being in that area, they're going to see that place and become interested in it, right? Well, that's really different online. And so the challenge that so many individuals and studios are facing and will continue to face is... There's going to be that natural rhythm where certain people phase out. So the question then becomes, how do you phase new people in? And that process of acquiring a new student base online is a very complicated and sophisticated business. Okay. Do you have any advice around that? I mean, I do because that's sort of what my whole course is about. Well, yes, I have a little bit, yeah. but we'll let's let's we'll have another conversation entirely about your course soon on it. No, no, I I, I don't mean to talk about my <laughs> No, 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 I know. No, but but so here's the thing is I think the first thing that I think of is I think about engaging your existing students in additional ways. That's the first thing I think about. Like right? what kinds of things? So for mean? example, so if I have a student that comes to my Zoom class, well, that student might be interested in one-on-one classes. That student might be interested in a semi-private class. That student might be interested down the road in a weekend workshop or a teacher training, live or online. That student might be interested in having some sort of what we'll talk about in a little bit, which is socially distanced live class outdoors Mm -hmm. that is a 
small group paying a larger amount, right? So the first thing that I'm thinking about is, hey, if I have a student base, what are other ways that I can serve that base, mm -hmm. right? Because as a teacher, Zoom classes are great, but there's an extent to how much I can fully engage with that person because I'm not seeing them in three dimensions. Mm -hmm. I'm not picking up on any of their subtle cues. It's a much more, I was thinking about this a lot, which is I want my yoga classes to feel didactic. I want it to feel like it's a conversation. I want to feel like I am teaching class, but I'm also watching how is my class being received, mm -hmm. right? I might give any verbal cue, but I, when I give those verbal cues, I watch the room and I want to see, does anything happen when I give that verbal cue? Everyone straighten the elbows a little bit more. Does that, does, does anything happen? Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in that room and you see the three dimensions of the people, you're just taking more human cues. Yeah. And so you're able to, to be more responsive to the information that you're receiving from the function of just being a human in a group. Sure. But that doesn't happen as much in Zoom. Right. Right. And so knowing that, okay, well, maybe these students realize like, hey, maybe I am going to do a park class and I'm going to limit it to eight people. It's going to be a semi-private. It's going to be a semi-private regular group, but it's a $20 drop in. You know, there's no cost because it's going directly to the teacher. Mm. So, right. So, so you know what I mean? Then it becomes oh, yeah, more profitable than a drop-in really class. Smart. The finances of it scale really well. Mm -hmm. you, you're in community again, right? So those those are the first things I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, and again, not just from like a business sales perspective, but from an educational perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, when people are, I'll speak for myself, when I am the student of someone or something, I really want to learn. Yeah. And I want to do more things with that person. Just right. like when you I You want to be around that person. You want to hear their voice. You want to like, yeah. they're comforting to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I never felt, you know, like my main Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach is, is named Travis Magalit. So like I would just mostly take Travis's classes, but I also did privates with him once in a while. I would take his seminars once in a while. And so as the experience of the student, I never felt like, oh, he's just trying to sell me something. Oh, he's just thinking about business. No, he's my coach. Mm -hmm. And I think about the same way as a teacher. I think engaging my student base in multiple ways is a way to teach them more things. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting because that idea of a smaller group in a public place, socially distanced, and then a slightly higher price point, which the teacher you know, gets all the revenue for that. It's such a win-win and it's such an interesting, you know, there's, I hate to say, I I don't mean to be any bypassing the challenges in, in this world at all right now, but there are some aspects of this shutdown that have just been so interesting. Like I've barely driven a car, you know, I'm just in my local neighborhood. And this kind of class reminds me of the same thing. It's like, who are the people who you really care about and who really cares about you as a teacher? You can, if you teach that kind of class, you get to really still have that interaction. Like you said, you're not, I mean, it's not exactly the same because you're, you can't get as close to them, but at least you can, like you said, they're in 3D. At totally. least they can talk to you. At least you can, you know, have some sense of their energy on that given day. Totally. And, you know, one of the things that, I, I mean, I'm, as we're talking, I'm realizing how just totally nuts this is. And this is part, I mean, not to go too, too into this, but like, I've been teaching yoga for a long time. And right prior to COVID, I was really burned out, really burned out. And so this has been, it's not been a break for me at all. I've been busier than ever, but it's been a, it's been a break from live classes. But the biggest thing it's been is a, bit, a break from travel. But when I look on my Tuesday, Thursday Zoom classes, most of those people live within three miles of us, Andrea. I know, I know. It's so I know, I hear you're like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm not at Proceed Park with yeah. Jessica. You know yeah. what I mean? And everyone, and, and, and everyone else, right? I don't know why. And, and I think at some point, like, clearly I could make that happen. So, and many people are. I haven't, right. but many people are, mm -hmm. right? I want to throw out another thing that just kind of, I think a lot of people did very early on, like 
we were all doing this while trying to scramble. But another thing that has kind of phased out and is not working, it's just random- The live stream? like No, random Instagram live classes. Oh, um, gee, I remember when COVID first happened, it was like you would open your Instagram and it would be like so-and-so is teaching, so-and-so is on live. So it was just like you had to, you could barely even look at anything without seeing everyone on the, on the live version. There was a huge part of me that just didn't know what the bleep to do with myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think the thing is, is like, I want to be sensitive to all of us yoga teachers and not kind of make the joke about us needing like constant reaffirmation and attention. But as yoga teachers, that's kind of what we're used to. Like we're used to being in a place where we get to talk a lot for a long time and people like it. Yeah. <laughs> people like it. Unlike at your Unlike home, Unlike the right? spouses who just are losing their mind. Or your, your children. I don't know how everything you guys, you're going to have to keep buying. You're going to have to, Andrea's going to launch a course soon. You need to buy that course so that she can afford therapy for living with me. While, as she says, I yell talk. His yoga classes. Oh my gosh. Do you know, Sophia has changed the expression. Do you know what she calls? No. She she calls it yell yelling. She doesn't even say her yell talking anymore. She just says, "Oh God, is that going to yell yell again?" <laughs> she thinks it's. She thinks she's really funny, but she, she is that really is what funny. she calls it. Okay, so but so I think but but the reason is is like I you know we were all grasping at straws, and we were all in this constant like it's so easy to forget that things have inertia, things have momentum, and. As a yoga teacher, you can't just stop all of a sudden, just stop. Mm -hmm. You just don't, your brain just fries itself. Mm -hmm. And also like there's, I think there's also kind of like an existential relevance component, you know, where we're so used to being interacting with others that if we're not interacting with others, it feels really weird. And so I, I don't blame that momentary blip oh, of yeah. insanity, yeah. but it just doesn't work. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's just, it's, it's too, the commitment is too low. See, here's the thing I've thought about for a long time is everyone in the yoga world, I shouldn't say in the yoga world, everyone in the modern world wants to sell like the two second mir miracle, right? Like one day to an instant new you. Mm -hmm. we, we always want to sell these things, but those things don't actually work because they're too easy to churn out of. Like, Anything that's easy come is easy go. Mm -hmm. And so when you have when you have this like, oh my God, this is so easy. I can just do Instagram live. It's so easy that no one will actually do it. Mm. Because they'll they'll start it and then three seconds later they'll be like, I'm gonna make a sandwich. You know <laughs> what I mean? There was no there was no investment. There was no Well, I just jump in here for a second. Yeah. So so I think that what does work, I mean, I, we're not saying like Instagram live doesn't work or no, Facebook's no, 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 lives no. don't work. What does work is to either A, plan a series where you tell people in advance, I'm going to do a five-week series and it's at this time on this day, or literally treat it like your regular class and it's it's scheduled in so that people know about it and you just make the marketing really clear. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, Wendy McNaughton. She lives in our neighborhood, but she uh, is a really well-known illustrator. She illustrates for the New York Times. And she started this Instagram live kids drawing class. And it was every day on live at 10 a.m. And she showed up. She's still doing it. Oh, no, wait, maybe it was once a week. Why am I blanking? It was once a week. It was once a week. And so she showed up for the kids. She posted she did such fun things. She would preview what you were going to do the next time. She would have people, the kids, post their artwork after with a hashtag, and then she would post them all on her stories later. And it just took off. And I mean, I was so grateful for it because Sophia loved it. So there are definitely things that can work. They just have to, I think what you're getting at is you just want to put thought into them. And when COVID first hit, we were all kind of scrambling, as you said. Yeah, I'm glad you made that clarification because there are all sorts of opportunities, sure. like you said, with Wendy McNaughton, to learn new skills, to take classes with people you don't know, or to do different modalities you don't know. 
but where I, where I phrase this is the random IGTV stuff, Yeah. right? Is that it does have to be more consistent. You do have to kind of market it. You do want to set it up as a more consistent ongoing series that has support. Even with Yoga Glow or Glow, the couple of IGTV things that we did that were live were really heavily promoted, right? And they have a huge base, right? Mm -hmm a much bigger student pool than I have. So if I were going to do something, I would make sure it was at a specific time, recurring, specific outcomes, specific marketing process, just so that people, I think it's it's in a sense, it's one of these things where the more that we can communicate and manage expectations and kind of lay out why we're going to do something and how we're going to do something, then we are finding the people that are actually drawn to that. And we are much more likely to develop a base mm -hmm. and a consistent audience, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure. Okay, so what else? We've got one more thing that is not working, which is pretty obvious. Manual adjustments. Yeah. Manual adjustments are not working. Not wor working They're right not now. They're not working. But I have this thought of like, just think how many people are not receiving bad manual adjustments. <laughs> there <right> you now. <laughs> go. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, actually. I was talking to Stephanie Snyder about this. We were talking like a couple weeks ago, which just kind of randomly came up in a conversation. And because we were talking about training, right? And in next podcast, you and I are going to talk about, because I've now taught 335 hours of online training mm -hmm. since March, right? And so we were talking and, and I was kind of telling her some things that I think is working well and some of the things that what I'm calling them are like some of the the bridges, the gaps that we need to bridge in online education. And she was she was kind of talking to me, we were talking about manual adjustments. And I'm like, well, you know, I haven't really given that many manual adjustments in a long time. I said, I still teach them, but I don't actually give them, mm -hmm. right? And she was like, oh my God, you don't? I'm like, no, Stephanie. I'm like, I haven't in like five years. And she's like, that's crazy. And she's like, I thought you gave the best manual adjustments of anyone I have ever received from before. That's high praise. I know. Because she re gives really good manual adjustments. But so here's the thing. But so the context that she, this isn't for me trying to be humble at all, because I avoid that was that not humble cost. what you just said, FYI. So well, I'm going to balance it <laughs> okay, out. Okay. Okay. I'm going to balance it out. <laughs> And also, I didn't say it, Stephanie Snyder. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Just FYI, let me tell you the story about what <laughs> Stephanie Snyder said to me the let other me day. Let me squeak this into the conversation. <laughs> um, I, when I am teaching the class, would give average at best manual adjustments. Where I was really good at giving manual adjustments is when I was assisting Rodney. To your boss? Like when, when Steph no, was no, your no, boss? No, 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 no. Kidding, I'm when, kidding. I, when, when Rodney was teaching uh -huh. and I was assisting because for me, when I was able to exclusively focus on manual adjustments because someone else was teaching the class, I was really good at them. When I was the one teaching that class and I'm queuing, I'm sequencing, I'm doing timing, I'm taking care of the whole room. I was average at best. Yeah. I mean, I think that I fundamentally changed the way that I teach manual adjustments to my teacher trainees and kind of I think set about a certain paradigm shift in how the work is done. But yeah, obviously that can't be done. The reason that I bring up manual adjustments is that one of the things to remember right now as a yoga teacher is you have fewer tools at your disposal as a teacher, right? You can't take in the same visual cues. You can't help focus yourself and focus others by being tactile through manual adjustments. And so the thing I keep coming back to, the biggest challenge as a yoga teacher now that I keep coming back to is the feedback loop is interrupted, right? It's just not a full circle anymore. You know, you just, you can't touch bodies. You can't see bodies the same way. Even when you do see bodies, they're in a small little box. They're two-dimensional. The camera angles making them look weird. So you can't see if the knee's too in or centered or too out. Those are the biggest challenges that we're dealing with. Yeah. But we have a bunch of other things that actually 
are working as a Great. yoga teacher. Let's do those. Okay, number one, which is COVID has so interrupted our job that we have no choice but to innovate. We have no choice but to innovate. We have no choice but to create. And we have no choice but to reassess how we teach yoga. And I would say that although uncomfortable, all of those things lead to greater growth over time. So one of the examples that, that I'm thinking about a lot is that yoga teachers are being required right now to be way more, I was, I was about to use a terrible word. I was about to say procedural, which is so like um, not good. Sounds like a medical uh, yeah, procedure. Yeah. Um, so much more planned. Process-oriented. So much more process-oriented. There you oriented. go. So much more thought through, so much more prepared. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening is you can't, I mean, I never really advise it anyways, but you can't like, quote unquote, feel the room and wing it. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Now, could you ever do that? Kind of, maybe, maybe you thought you could, but maybe you didn't. But you can't feel the room, which means you have to, you have to spend more time developing your content. Mm -hmm. You have to spend more time thinking through, wait, what am I going to teach today? Why am I teaching these things? Who's actually going to be coming to class? Who are the people that are going to be here? You know that you don't know. And when you know that you don't know, yet you still want an actual job and you want people to come back, you got to kind of be prepared. Mm -hmm. So it's a place where I think people are really reassessing the fundamental skill sets of preparation and sequencing and content development and content construction, you know, you, because you just kind of can't survive that well without it. So those things are huge right now. Yeah. One thing I wonder is, so we've got the Zoom situation and we were talking about how it, it's a technology that's, you know, was not intended for a visual medium of yoga, but it's kind of what we're stuck with. So one piece of advice, obviously you have is to prepare for your, and I mean, you, like you said, you've, this is part of what you always advise, but now more so than ever. Is there anything else you can think of? I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me is not just preparing, but communicating that preparedness to all your students, like on all your social channels, in your stories, not just like, hey, I'm teaching a lot, you know, I've got my live stream tomorrow at 9 a.m., but tomorrow we're going to work on X or like doing a little, you know how you could do those little tags in your stories, like, what do you want to work on? I'll, I'll take everybody's feedback and incorporated into future classes, like kind of getting, are there other ways that you can think of to just make this issue that we have to deal with, which is regular Zoom classes just a little bit better? Yeah. So earlier I was saying that the community, that the live in-room communication is not there. So when I'm teaching a class, I can't hear people breathing. I, I can't see if people are in sync. I don't know exactly where people are. I have no way of really gauging. I don't see people sweat. You know what I mean? Like I can't gauge intensity levels that well. I can't gauge alignment. Like there's so many things I can't gauge, but I can do things like, hey, this month we are going to focus on these four or five things. My email is jason at jasonyoga.com. Next month, I don't know what we're going to focus on. I would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. You're sitting, and, and the reason we could always do that at the end of class, like I would pretty regularly, regularly meaning like once a quarter, I would think of it, right? At the end of class, I'd say, or at the beginning of class, I'd say, you know, I don't like, I don't ask anyone at the beginning or end of class, like, hey, what do you want to work on today? Because I have that planned out. Right. <laughs> but. I don't have my whole year planned out. Exactly. So let me know. Like, like not to, I don't say, what do you want to work on today? But I say, next month, what are some things you want to work on? Maybe there's some regions of the body. Maybe there's some philosophical or spiritual insight or component. Maybe there's some techniques. Maybe there's some postures. Like, let me know some of the stuff that you want me to work with, and I'll create content for that. Mm-hmm. Right? I could do it on the spot, but it's not my preference. Well, even though I would say that, 
at the end of class and I'd give people my email address, there's, I'm physically with them at that moment. They forget. And it's also, it's not quite as comfortable to bridge that gap of like emailing the person later. Mm -hmm. But when we're already practicing with our laptop there, I said this once, like maybe three months ago, I got like 30 emails within the next 20 minutes of Mm -hmm. like, I like to work on this. I like to work on this. So many students will feel much more comfortable saying, hey, I've been having this trouble. I want to work on this. Hey, we've been leading towards this. We've been working on a lot of shoulders. Can we do some hips? So it's a it's kind of an easier place to synthesize. And then just like you said, because when your students are practicing with you online, it's easier to promote online content online, right? I've always had this challenge, which is, If I want to promote a workshop in Boston or New York City or Charleston, and I want to do that on Instagram, I have actually a huge problem, which is that in any one location that I speak about or write to in social media, the social media goes everywhere, not just to that one location. Yeah, that is advantageous. Like now you promote something and anyone can join. Totally. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's like, hey, This Zoom class that I'm doing at five o'clock or whatever it is that I'm advertising online, it's online. So you aren't leaving people out in the same way. Mm -hmm. And this was always, this is like crisis is way too strong a word for it, right? But this was always a, a dilemma that I faced in marketing with Instagram would be like, oh man, I can't do many, I can't do that many Instagram posts about my weekend upcoming in Detroit. Because the majority of people are not in the, they're not in the Midwest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so like, you don't want to interact with someone's feed when they're, are regularly promoting something that is just not in your geographic location, Mm -hmm. but promoting online content online and then building like Instagram posts based on, Hey, we've been working on shoulders. Let's take a, let's take a, here's my post. We're going to break down down dog. Next week, we're going to look at this in my class. Mm -hmm. So tying in those things together is working really, really, really well. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I've been really inspired by a bunch of my students, and we was alluding to this earlier, is there are a lot of my students who are going back to socially distance or going back to a live environment that is socially distanced and often outdoor mm-hmm. in new and unique spaces. Mm-hmm. Adriana is a student of mine in New York. She's teaching in Brooklyn on the roof of her apartment building. Ooh, neat. Right? Yeah. I mean, it looks unbelievably hot. Like, I would not survive it. But, like, in her photographs are amazing. Like, it's it's really... It's really cool. Fun. Kaylee in, in Sacramento's teaching outdoor classes. There's a lot of studios. Well, a lot last of- story they're teaching on the beach. Yes. We saw, I saw Steph posted on social media. She had a megaphone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she had like her, her, you know, she had her cap on. So there's, she wasn't getting sun in her eyes. She had her microphone. There's almost no megaphone, physical. Sorry. There's almost no outdoor location worse than ocean beach <laughs> than ocean beach to teach a class <laughs> but you know what I, but it, but it's so it's so nice right i i'm Haley's teaching at 1 p.m on fridays and one of these fridays i'm gonna go because totally. i would love to see her in person and so there's a bunch of studios especially studios on the east coast and a couple of studio owners in the midwest that they have roped off parts of the parking lot to the studios. Oh, smart. And then like grassy areas I next like to the studios. It's right? just like restaurants that are opening up outdoors and some of them are going into the street, I'm noticing in yeah. San Carlos. That's really smart. I had two students in this training who are teacher. Well, everyone in the training is a teacher, but who taught, these were two separate people at two separate locations that partnered with restaurants that have big outdoor patios because those restaurants right now, they're not oh. running full service. Right. Right. Yeah. And so they have all these open times and they have these like shaded, like it's I just love it. See, right? this is what I was wondering if anybody's thought of creative ideas. Big these are time. great ideas. And so this is where I'm saying like, 
I'm not, you know, neither of us run the risk of being overly optimistic about a difficult thing. No. You know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. not like, oh, we're not like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's so good that you got this terrible diagnosis because you get to be on your healing journey. That's not us, right? No. And at the same time, we just have to see that these challenges that we're experiencing to a more conventional way of teaching mm -hmm. is making us be creative and innovative and sort out some other things. Now, guess what? It is summertime right now. So this is a much more, at least in this hemisphere, right? So this is a much more doable thing, this outdoor right. stuff right. for the next several months. Mm -hmm. When we go into winter, maybe it's a little bit more complicated again. But these things are really working. There's one more thing that is really working really well for a lot of students. I have students who mostly have a private business. They mostly see individuals privately or small groups or not special needs in terms of accessibility, but specialty needs like yoga for golfers, yoga okay. for runners, uh -huh. yoga preparing... And, and they're all doing really well. So the small group niche based work. Huh. And I think that one of the reasons is because everyone's working from home. Well, and everybody misses or not being everyone able is, to do you know, their sport totally. too. And I shouldn't say yeah. everyone. There's, there's plenty of people that are on the front line right. that are not working from home that are working in very complicated, challenging, and but somewhat relatively, compromised Relatively, there are many people working from home. But there are many more people working from home. And so like slipping in a 90-minute private or a 60-minute private mm. online where you are utilizing Zoom technology and there's no overhead, but in Zoom technology, when it's a one-on-one -on -one, or just FaceTime or Skype, when it's a one-on-one, -on -one, you can just set it up to see really, really, really well. You know, so you you can, like, I would be as comfortable teaching someone privately on Zoom as I would in the same room. I would be totally as comfortable in terms of what I think that I could effectively see and communicate in that student. It's kind of neat, actually, because if you are used to teaching privates in a studio space or in your own home, I've heard teachers, school teachers, say that when they're working with their special needs kids, like OTs and teachers, that it's good to see their kids in their home environment because then they can teach them how to work in their home environment, right? So uh, if you are struggling with your home practice right now, you could hire your teacher for an hour and say like, what can I do in this space? Or, you know, I, I I've just been thinking as you've been talking about not being able to do manual adjustments, adjustments it reminded me of that, like a, a series of poses that Roger Cole used to teach for the low back and sacroiliac. And it was like, you might as well have had to have like a ladder and, totally. a, you know, it was like you take your strap and you wrap it around one leg and then you wrap it on the doorknob and then you do triangle and then you take your strap and you wrap it around the bottom of your chair and you take your bolster and then, a, and I used to do it because I had really bad sacral issues and it worked, but those kinds of things, you could take advantage of the time and the space and teach people how to do those things. You know, one of the things that I veered away from maybe five or six years ago was using a lot of props. And the reason I did that, to be totally honest, is around five or six, maybe seven years ago, more people started coming into my classes. Like I've been teaching for a long time and I've had, I've been on a lot of platforms and I've had a lot of exposure for a long time. I haven't had that many people come into class for that long. Hmm. But I mean, my, what I'm trying to say is like 10 years ago, my classes weren't big. They weren't even close to being big. But when my students, when my classes got bigger, especially when I would travel, I'd be in locations where I had to normalize more students than props, mm. right? That's kind of what I'm getting more to. More space. Yeah, more yeah. space, more students. It takes more time for people when there's To get to a the wall. Yeah. But when I'm teaching on Zoom, it's I feel more comfortable. I can be like, okay, those of you that need a belt, grab a belt. If you don't have a yoga belt, you have a belt in your house. If you don't have a belt, you have a rope. If you don't have a rope, you have a towel. If you don't have a towel, like, I don't know where the hell you are. Get a bungee cord. Get a bungee cord. <laughs> bungee cords work great. Totally. And you just like people also at home, like a lot of times, I don't teach a ton of inversions, 
but I will in my advanced classes or my two, three classes, I will often give people the opportunity. Those of you that have a wall nearby, if you want to take a moment to go do handstand, this is the time to do it. Go for it. I'm not accountable for it. Remember, I can't watch you. You're right. on your own. But if you have the space there, there's a, a student of mine named Matt, who's really, really great, really consistent student. And I could tell that he was in one of the like little Zoom windows. I can tell where he practices. He has a couch and he was working on handstand and he also has a pretty deep back bend. And I was like, Matt, I, I think you can do Scorpion on that couch. Oh, like flip his legs. Up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he did. Like it was just kind of random, but like this, that, that would never happen <laughs> yeah. in a public class. But I was able to see that and like you it was used super to be the king of the of using furniture as props. The king. You know what I chalk that up to? Huh? Skateboarding. You used to come over to my apartment before we were dating and you'd be like, oh, look at that ottoman. And you'd start doing totally. something. You would like do yoga everywhere in my it's, house. It, it's 100% from skateboarding. Everyone out there that skateboarded knows why knows I'm saying what you're talking about. Is you just learn to reappropriate physical spaces all the time. Yeah. And you're just, you're, you, all you see when you do this, when you walk around, like still to this day, when I walk around, all I see is like a, a skate park. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the top of this interview, you said we were going to talk about how students can approach this time. Yeah, I think this is really the last topic. And then we're going to do a part two of this where we have the same conversation, but around teacher training. Okay. Whether it's short format, 200 hour, 300 hour, we have a, a lot of insight now. So these are some of the things that I think about as a student, right? Which is, as a student practicing now, you're practicing at home or you're practicing in these unconventional spaces. And and what I think one of the things to notice to know is there have been a lot of students practicing at home for a really long time. Whether it was with Rodney Yee and Patricia Walden's videos or whether it's on YouTube or Glow or another online service, People have been practicing at home for a long time, but the majority of people practicing at home were mostly doing it as a supplement to also going to classes. So class was kind of the primary practice learning environment, and then online was supplemental. Of, of course, not for everyone, but that, that was often the case. But for now, that's flipped. And so people's primary practice and secondary practice is it's at home. So I think the most important thing to be as a student now is consistent. And the only way that you're going to be consistent is to maintain yoga as an absolute priority. Mm -hmm. It has to be a priority. It yep. has to be a priority. If you aren't head over heels in love with yoga, then it's running and running, right. running needs to be a priority or whatever it is like moving your body, moving your body yeah. has to be a priority. It's a physical priority. It's a psycho emotional priority. It's it, it has to take it has to play a role in your life. And you just, you have to commit to it day, day in and day out. You have to commit to it. And that also means we have to have reasonable expectations. So anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes daily or several times a week, mm -hmm. like we have the time. All you have to do, if you don't think you have the time, go to your Instagram account, look under your own activity and see how many minutes you spend on a daily basis looking at that thing that deep down you don't actually care about. Ouch. That hurt, Seriously, Crandall, though. but it's really true. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm saying if you think you don't have time <laughs> to do that something for your body, savage. look at that thing. Yeah. Just be honest. It's we true. have to be honest. I'm going to add to this. Move your body like your life depends on it because it does. It does. You know, since going through a cancer diagnosis, the first thing my care providers ask every time I have a check-in is, how many minutes a week are you exercising? They want me to know how many minutes because I have to be exercising, moving for a minimum of 250 minutes per week. And that's not even that much. Not even that much. But think about that they have to ask because so many of us neglect it yeah. so easily. We neglect ourselves so easily. Through my 30s, I neglected 
I neglected myself. I would go through periods, long periods of time. And that was not wise, clearly. So I want to say this, which is it's hard to get your stuff together and it's hard to keep it together. It is. Mm -hmm. You look at like, there is a never ending amount of self-help books and self-help sales that are mostly being bought by people that are mostly well, Mm -hmm. but still have a hard time like fully getting together this or that. The only reason I'm saying that is like, because I know that it is difficult to move your body, even though you know your life depends on it. I know it's difficult to be consistent. I know it's difficult to prioritize your personal, physical, and mental health well-being. I know it's really hard, but you and you alone are the only person that can do that. You, mm-hmm. you have that agency. You know, and I say this to people all the time in my trainings, like, I can teach you, I can guide you, but I can't do your practice for you. I can't. You actually have to do it. And you have to do your classes for you. I can't do those things. Mm-hmm. So just bringing those things up is really good. There's another thing that we really need to focus on at home, which is focus. And what I mean by that is we have to acknowledge that our home environment is way more distractible and distracting than a set-aside environment for doing our yoga practice, Mm -hmm. right? And it is easier come, easier go, just like I was saying earlier, right? If you like get your shoes on, you go to class, you do all these things, you show up, you unroll your yoga mat, and you think to yourself oh my God, I'm tired. I don't really want to do this. I mean, think about how many times that has gone on. And then the teacher comes on and the teacher says something like, oh my God, it's a sub. Or, you know, when you think about like all of those times that you had a moment in class that you wanted to leave, but you didn't. And you're glad at the end you didn't, right? Well, at home, guess what you would have done? Yeah, you would have turned it off. You would have left. Yeah. Guaranteed. You know, and so and so having kind of that like self-agency, self-motivation, that focus and that that self-knowledge that you are much more inclined at home not to follow through with something. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of know that and troubleshoot it. You have mm-hmm. to see that. You have to kind of see like, oh, I see myself wanting to get out of this now. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. I can't let myself fall into that. So that's why I have, anytime I'm exercising right now, I'm doing it first thing in the morning. I can't, I know for myself that if I put it off, I will get absorbed in my work or absorbed with cleaning or absorbed with something else. I want to add one other thought to that, which is if you are lacking motivation, if you are lacking focus, if you're feeling just kind of flat, try something new, try something fun and email your teacher and say, Hey, can we work on handstands soon? Like I want to, I'm just missing the playful part of my life and my practice. And the reason that there are so many books written about health and wellness is a, because it's difficult, right? To take care of oneself all the time. But B, the other reason is because we all need reminders. Yeah, We all need reminders all the time of what is important. So if books inspire you, find a book that inspires you. If podcasts inspire you, find a podcast. Like, Look to your sources of inspiration to keep you going right now. I want to give two quick thoughts on this, right? Yesterday, I was just really, really, really tired. And I was like looking through Netflix. Mentally, I had completely resolved to take a couple of hours off. But then when I was looking at Netflix and Apple TV and everything, I was just like, I don't want to watch anything. And so I watched a masterclass just on masterclass.com, super, super random on advertising and design, right? I was so inspired by that. Like, it's not my job. Mm-hmm. Advertising and design. It's something it like, that's fun. It, because yeah. I was so inspired by how good these people were and how thoughtful they were and how, no pun intended, how masterful they were that I wanted to be that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, made me feel good about my job. Also, like, you know, I pretty regularly listen to Joe Rogan podcast, right? And there, there are many other kind of people in that milieu. And it's very subject specific for me. So I'm not always interested, 
right? I'm not always interested. I don't listen to everything, but there's something infectious about people who are good at what they do and people who are very high level, skillful, and thorough in their field, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so whether it's like talking to some Olympic athlete or some neurologist or some writer, whoever it is, it's like, those aren't the fields that I'm in. And so the nice thing is I don't in any way feel like competitive or jealous or I don't in any way get triggered by people that are in other fields Mm -hmm. who are excellent at what they do, Mm -hmm. but they inspire me. And I think, oh, I want to take this insight to my field. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's actually really healthy and beneficial, both as a student and as a teacher, to seek inspiration and experience and insight from outside of your subject matter. Yep. Absolutely. You have one more little point there. Do I? Mm -hmm. Remember, you are part of a community. That's it. That's what you should remember as a student. It's super hard to remember that. There's so much that happens in the in-between transition spaces of a yoga class. The walking in the room, the taking your shoes off, the like laying out your mat, the talking to your neighbor, the kind of moving around, the afterwards, like whether you are actually friends with someone in the room and talking to them or not, you are in a shared environment doing a shared thing. And we don't have that so much right now, except for these examples that we spoke about earlier where people are coming off the mat and going into socially distanced areas. But the point is, is that when you are practicing in your own room, wherever it is, just remember you're not alone that we're all here, that we're all doing these practices together and that it really matters that you're part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that that your teachers are still thinking about you. Your mm-hmm. teachers are still thinking about you. They still care for you. And you still are in community, even mm-hmm. though that community is currently a little bit less physically tangible. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks so much. That was a good conversation. We're going to, next round, we're going to take this to the whole training bit. All right. We'll do that soon. Thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you are interested in getting on the waitlist for my upcoming course, you can go to yogacontentguide.com and enter your email address. I'll send you a little freebie about how to find your content sweet spot. It's like a little, little teeny, tiny, tiny section of the course. And then I will notify you when it is ready to go. And also, if you have any creative spaces that you're teaching in right now or any creative ideas to help other teachers in our community right now, please post them on Instagram and tag Yogaland stories and I will check it out and repost. Okay. Thanks so much. Until next week, enjoy your practice.